You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. The Leaky Cauldron! That's in London. Did you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron, that's in London. The Leaky Cauldron! <laughs> hey, if you have the pea soup, make sure you eat it before you eat it. <laughs> After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From Shock Treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following the franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of Ask that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time around, we're looking at the Harry Potter franchise, specifically in this, uh, the film Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, third film in the series released in 2004. The theme song you just heard was written and performed by Mark with the C. I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, hello, listeners. Uh, so this film came out two years after the, the second one, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. It is a new director at the helm, Alfonso Cuaron, but uh, produced by Chris Columbus, who directed the first two. Screenplay, again, by Steve Cloves, starring uh, the regular gang of idiots, uh, but with additional cast members like, uh, what, David Thewlis and um, Gary Oldman. Oh, and Emma Thompson has a small part here as well. These are notable additions to the cast. John Williams returns to the music with cinematography by Michael Saracen and... off a budget of $130 million, this made $796 million worldwide. So all these films were tremendously popular. Well, you mentioned uh, all the people in this movie. That was something I, I noticed mm, yeah. right from the beginning. Between all the the, the professors at, at Hogwarts and also all the talking pictures and things, it seems like this movie uses, or this whole movie series uses every moment possible to cram in cameos by established British actors. Sure. It's, um, I mean, I've been trying to read these books to catch up. I, at work, it's just been too busy. I didn't get a chance to read too much of this, uh, of this book, but I understand, you know, it, it was the first of one of the longer books in the series. So they actually, it's not mm. practically scene for scene like uh, the first two films were. Uh, if you want to check out other episodes of SequelCast, be sure to go to SequelCast.com. And the SequelCast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at BattleshipPretension.com. Okay, so Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. I first saw this on, uh, I rented the DVD maybe like, uh, oh gee, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago when I first met my wife. And she was into Harry Potter, and I was trying to get into it. And I, I had to watch it with her, because she would explain all the stuff in the book that was cut out, because I would get confused with, uh, like you said, all the different characters. When did you first see this one? Uh, I, I actually don't remember exactly when. Uh, all, I, all I remember is the first time I saw this, uh, I guess it would would have... 
gosh, when did this come out? I might not have seen this actually until 2005 or 2006. Uh, I was visiting my parents and it came on HBO and I just remember watching it one afternoon. And watching this again for the, the sequel cast right away, the different director, in this case Alfonso Cuaron, uh, really helps. It it looks more like a movie. The sets seem more expansive. The camera moves a lot more. You get more interesting dynamic angles. And another thing worth noting is the the costumes. They're not in their school uniforms the whole time. They can wear jackets, you know, and, and coats and blue jeans and all these things. Maybe not blue jeans, but... Um, you know what I mean? It makes it. They make them feel like more like real kids, instead of wearing these heavy like wool jackets with all the. I don't know. They don't get merit badges, whatever it is. All your little, you know, your your house sign of like uh, Slytherin or your your patch, Pufflepuff, your patches all over, right? Well, they ha- they have everything like but a club tie on their uniforms. Right. Yeah, it's very formal, and uh, the film loosens up a bit in a few ways. I mean, before doing this film, a Bonzo Cuarón might have been best known for '98 did the Great Expectations film mm. that had uh, Robert De Niro and um, Gwyneth Paltrow and Ethan Hawke. I believe it had the line "Pip, I want you in me." Except the character is called Finn in that uh, adaptation. I, I, I like the see in my mind. I like the idea of De Niro playing <laughs> playing <laughs> Pip. Hello, <laughs> okay. Hello, kid. <laughs> yeah, I can't I, do uh, myself. Yeah, I can't do it in your house, I to say. Uh, and it's, it's funny, you know, the film Cuaron did right before uh, this uh, Harry Potter 3 was an erotic Spanish sort of coming-of-age film called Y Tu Mama Tambien. I like the sound of that. That apparently had quite the menage a trois scene in it. I worked at a video store when that came out, and these old men would come to me all the time. I don't know why me, but they'd come to me all the time and say, you need to rent this movie, kid. It's, it's, it's quite spicy. It's very good. I think they describe it as spicy, like they're they're from the nineteen fifties. <laughs> well, these were these were very old men, you know. They look around, kind of shifty eyed, see if their wives weren't looking at them. They go, "Hey, you need to rent this movie. It's 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 superb. I want to rent it again. I've rented it every." Yeah, you need to read this. Yeah, this. lover. <laughs> I snuck it out of I snuck it out of France during the war. I don't remember which one. Just go to the scene where it says her sex. It's every three pages. You'll be satisfied. <laughs> yeah. um... <laughs> but how to go that back to Harry Potter. Um, as we saw with Chamber of Secrets, in this one, I think, although the plot is complicated, it's not as convoluted. It's more of a straight, even though there's a lot of characters, it's more of a straight-ahead story this time around. With the exception of the time travel angle, yes. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah, that's like very Back to the Future too. <laughs> uh, and we've covered Back to the Future. You can hear those episodes at our website at sequelcast.com. Um, that was when the that was when the original sequel cast uh, got back together and rode out again. Right back in the saddle again. I keep on threatening to do a sequel cast special about the uh, my uh, Cascadia FM uh, sequel cast experience. We you really should. We, we should, should do it in the style of an in, in, as an interview show. I and think I'll so. James yeah. Well, we had some fun ideas for what's coming up, but I really should do that. I, I think I would be respectful talking about that that period. Um, but I get emails about that all the time. By all the time, I mean by three different listeners. But no, there's certainly interest, I think, in that sort of thing. So, and I think enough time has passed too. Where it's the statute of limitations and all that. Statute of limitations. Boop, 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 prisoner of Escobar. 
fun. Uh, so, again, yeah. you get nonsense with the Dursleys in the beginning. I don't like these scenes. These scenes like wear very thin. Well, yeah, it's well. I mean, we we talked we talked about that that before. Is that the the more I see Harry interact with the Dursleys post Hogwarts, the more I start to side with the Dursleys, and the less I like wizards. Now, I, I did find the effect kind of creepy, where he makes his his aunt um, blow up really big like a balloon, or maybe it's his great aunt. I'm not quite sure. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, that's that is scary a looking. Effect. That looks something right out of an illustration from a Roald Dahl novel. It's. Well, well, it's like it's like that combined with uh, was it Storm from Big Trouble in Little China? Oh yeah, right, right, sure. His chi messes up and he inflates until mm-hmm. he explodes. So. It's a, really something kind of terrifying, and you know, it, it, it's not CG. It's someone in a lot of prosthetics. Perhaps the body is CG. I don't know, quite know how they did that effect, but it's it's very effective. Uh, did you think the special effects in this were better than the previous two? Uh, overall. Uh, well, they're certainly better than the special effects in the first Harry Potter film. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I, it, it's only really sort of an incremental improvement over the effects in uh, in the Chamber of Secrets. Although that being said, like the, the the older I get, the less I look at the special effects in a movie, and the less important they become to me. Mm, that's interesting. Although, although, generally speaking, I do like the way they use the effects in the Harry Potter series. They put a significant amount of the budget towards uh, the special effects, and yeah, they really seem to uh, to, to care about it. And, you know, and this film took uh, came out two years after the last one, Chamber of Secrets, and I think that's good. It gives the actors that play the leads a bit to uh, age up a bit, which is nice. They don't look quite so precocious, and they're not getting worked to death. Thank goodness. Yeah, they pretty much stuck to doing just Harry Potter films as far as their mainstream stuff. They might have done an indie film here and there. Well, I mean, when, when when the three principal cast members got locked down to do this whole series, like that's honestly what I thought is, oh, they're going to get so burned out churning out these Harry Potter movies, they're all going to retire from acting the moment the last film premieres. They certainly could. I hope they got enough money for these. But yeah, I mean, like in 2002, Rupert Grint, who plays Ron Weasley, was in a film called, uh, a kid's film called Thunderpants. <laughs> ah yes, I am aware of that film. Which he plays a supporting part, and um, I mean, yeah, it's it's really tough. You're in such a a big franchise thing. Why not just ride out the franchise? And as a our theme song writer Mark with the C says, until the bitter end, you know, <laughs> and collect those paychecks and, and do a good job. Uh, what do you think of the acting of the leads this time around? It's, I, I guess, I, I all I can say is that it's. It's generally all right. Like, I don't think there are any bad actors in the Harry Potter films, but I guess I, I don't, and it's, it's probably just because I'm not in the target audience, but I just don't get absorbed into the performances. I think Daniel Radcliffe's better here than in the, the previous two. He seems to be the most shaky as an actor, I think. And also, in the part of that, his character has to be, he's the main character. He kind of has more serious stuff to deal with. He doesn't have to, you know... Like Ron Weasley, uh, played by Rupert Grint, relies on a lot of humor. And Emma Watson is kind of a smarty pants, and I think she's by far the best actor out of the three of them. Well, he, I mean, Ron Weasley is the is the comic relief of the trio. Sure. Although that, that is something that I think I, I meant to bring up last time. Uh, do you, how, how much overt racism do you think is in the Harry Potter films? Um, because what is no, Ron it's, it's all white. 
Oh, go on. Well, I mean, well, what is Ron Weasley and his family other than a bunch of hoary old uh, Irish Irish Catholic stereotypes? Yeah, on the other hand, you know, stereotypes serve uh, a purpose in that. What purpose? In that you, from a from a distance, you can look at a character and say, "Hey, this kid has pasty skin and red hair, and he has a lot of siblings. He's Irish." I don't know. Like it, it, it serves as a shortcut. It's useful for like cartoons, I think. Well, the thing is, I think, but Harry Potter isn't a cartoon, although there's a lot of CG in it. Well, the thing is, I think you're you're confusing a stereotype with an archetype, which is, I think, mm. what what J.K. Rowling has done. How so? And it's not and it's not to say that I'm I'm particularly uh, uh, offended. I generally don't get offended. It's just that it just seems it seems so lazy. I see. Just so it seems too convenient. Yeah, it just it just. Right. You know, I like, oh, I, yeah, just, it just, it just seems, it, it just seems lazy and extraneous to have all that, that detail about his, his family in mm. there. The, the opening of this film makes me very nauseous when he gets on this bus. He runs away from home. He's fed oh, up at yeah. being treated like shit. And then you get this, uh, very, I'd say almost like, it feels like something out of a Terry Gilliam film, like, uh, Brazil or 12 Monkeys or, time or something. Bandits. Time Bandits, right. Yeah. Where and oddly enough, Terry Gilliam is who uh, author of the the novels J.K. Rowling wanted to direct the very first film, but the studio I was like, "No way." <laughs> he said, "No way." No, the studio said, "No way." Oh, the studio. Oh, God. And I think I think Terry Gilliam would have changed things. It would have made things very. Um, how do I? What's his style? I don't know. It's like it's extreme. It's not as weird as David Lynch, but it's certainly surreal. Well, it's 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 dream it's dreamlike, but not nightmare like. Yes, so maybe not as as dark as like Tim Burton yeah. might do something, but but of course, that, and of course, that's another thing. Here, you know, well, first, it's it's taken us three movies for Harry Potter to run away from his shitty, shitty family. That's a very fair point. But then once he gets in there, you know, it's kind oh, of like I, the the joke the joke of the crazy bus driver. Which in England is it that bad? Is it like taxi cab drivers in uh, Manhattan? Well, no, the cra- the craziest taxi drivers in the world uh, in Italy. Italy, okay. I, I can tell you this from firsthand experience. Those taxis are terrifying. I've never driven here, but my sister and my uh, has driven. When uh, we went on vacation in Puerto Rico, maybe like ten years ago, over ten years ago, because my dad lived there at the time, and uh, in Puerto Rico on the highways. And I'm not saying this to be offensive. This is just what I observed. The lanes don't apply. People drive like schools of fish and fast. Mm. So for me, that was a nail-biting experience, even though I wasn't the one driving. But well, yeah, well, I mean... The, the thing on. in Italy is that, yeah. is that so, so many of the, the cities still have the same general floor plan they had in the Renaissance, and it's a floor plan designed to prevent invasion and to make it difficult for people to get around. Does that mean the roads are like cobblestone and very bumpity bumpity? Or uh, cobblestone, yeah. bumpy, branch off in the weirdest directions. Hmm. Like I'd like look look at a look at a map of of Rome or, or Vatican City. It is insane. It looks like it looks like a, a maze made of broken glass. I've never been to Europe, but I imagine I'll go there sooner rather than later. Uh, my wife and I have a friend who's uh, who just got married over there. Who's studying uh, pharmacy tech hey. stuff. Hi, James, if you're listening. And um, also, we have a lot of sequel cast listeners over in the UK. It's one of our bigger markets. 
UK and Australia, and um, specifically um, Stephen, who was a guest in our Star Wars episode. Cool, cool. Keeps in contact a bit. So certainly if I made my way out to um, Europe, specifically Marriott, England, I would try and meet up with uh, our UK listeners somehow. So, and speaking of Harry Potter, um, I, <laughs> my wife and I will be covering the LeakyCon at its Portland, Oregon um, show. Cool. Not show, what am I talking about? Convention? Convention, yeah, in Portland, Oregon. It's the first time, I guess it's been in the U.S. before, but this is the first time it's been in Portland, Oregon. And uh, if you want to get tickets, you can still get tickets to go. It's from June 27th through the 30th, 2013. So I'll post more details about that closer to the time. But I'm trying to get a sequel cast live show done there, which I'll do with some of my friends uh, from the area. Very cool. But we'll have to give more updates as that stuff comes along because they haven't quite published this the schedule booklet yet. Oh, but that's that's uh, an, another thing. The the bus driver. Why does the bus driver had a the shrunken head of a Jamaican man in his bus? I wouldn't say I found that offensive, but it's kind of like. Well, neither am I, but it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of really really this is what's in your this is what's in your story. And they added that for the movie. It wasn't quite that way in uh, the book, from what I understand. They added a lot of dialogue with the talking heads and stuff, and just there's a great uh, dynamism to the way the camera moves and all the the slapstick. But it always makes me nauseous. It makes me feel like I'm on a rickety bus, <laughs> which I guess means it's successful in how it was shot. Um. But yeah, I, I don't know what it is about that sequence, whether I'm drunk or not watching Well, I think it. it's intentional. I think that sequence is supposed to sure. feel like a ride. Oh, I agree, and it does. You can certainly see, you know, if they were going to do a, a Harry Potter in 3D, this sequence in 3D would totally work with the dangling heads and zipping through the uh, the alleyways and putting on the brakes for the old lady crossing the street. Although this also does... Also, you know, again, raise the question, how are they hiding magic? Because that that bus is so obviously supernatural and does so many impossible things. It's uh, it's cloaked. It's invisible somehow. Oh, that's right. The 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 lazy man's explanation. Oh, we'll just make it invisible. And they explain that like in a line of dialogue. But I mean, a Harry Potter film, it makes me think a little bit of the Matrix sequels in a way Hmm. where you're waiting to see, well, I just want to see these guys get in the Matrix, or in Harry Potter, I want to see these people get to Hogwarts. Why do we have to screw around with them in the real world? Oh, yeah, whatever, I guess Hogwarts is in the real world, it's not another dimension. Well, but I mean, but, it, is a, it is a thing. Why all these shenanigans in the beginning of the movie, why can't we just start with him arriving at Hogwarts? And, exactly, sure. Because yep. uh, that's, that's one impression I got from this film. All these beginning shenanigans don't really add anything to the I don't feel they add anything to the film. They don't. Although, you know, when they take the, uh, the train over, you get the Dementors. Oh, uh, yes. I think they look very similar to the uh, Rain Wraiths from Lord of the Rings. You know, they remind me of the Auditors from the Discworld books. In, when I first mm, read okay. a, a Discworld novel with the Auditors, that is exactly what I imagined. They're scary looking, I'll give them that. You know, it oh, sort yeah. of looks like the Grim Reaper, but that the, the head is covered with the cloak, and you kind of get an impression of what's underneath, and the, the sound effects all work very well. It's a, It's just one of those things, I think, that's very, very effective. 
if even if their design, I think, is a little bit derivative. I don't think it's the most creative design in the world. But well, how are they described in the books? I didn't get that far in the books. I got I got fifty pages into this book. So in the book, fifty pages means he's barely left. He hasn't even left the Dursleys' house yet. <laughs> so I I um I really can't say. But once they get to uh, Hogwarts, you get a weird element of the story that the Dementors are kind of guardians of, of Hogwarts while uh, prisoner uh, Sirius Black, who is, is at large, he's on the loose, who is supposedly a supporter of Lord Voldemort, the big uh, bad of the series, escaped the prison of Azkaban, hence the title, and they think he's going to kill Harry Potter and the Dementors are there kind of as guards, but yet they're if you mess with them, they'll they'll kill you. And the teachers give the students this warning. In a world of podcasts, only three men are willing. Well, well dude, what are you doing, James? You told me to do the the promo for the podcast, right? That's what we're yeah, doing. But I mean, you know, we could actually tell people about what we are. I mean, we're the Famicast. We uh, bi-weekly show. We talk about Nintendo and games in Japan. Uh, I'm Danny, and uh, that was James. And we got another guy. What? Who are you again? I, uh, I'm a, I'm the I'm the saboteur. I'm the the henchman. I'm the, the interloper. That's uh that's Ty. He is our anime trash expert. <laughs> Digs around in some UFO catchers for check us out. We're in Japan. We like Nintendo most of the time. The Famicast only on the yeah. It, it's such it's it's one of those weird problems. Like the ma- the magic seems to only cause more problems in these movies, but nobody seems to notice or care. Now, what do you think of uh, the big? change in the movie is Michael Gambon had to play um, Dumbledore. Well, on account of death. Oh, yes, because Richard Harris was was very old when he took the role, and he took the role because his grandchildren said, I won't talk to you again unless you play this part in Harry Potter. So he's like, okay, I'll play the wizard. And um, So what do you think of Michael Gambon, who plays Dumbledore for the remainder of the films? He's alright. They keep the makeup fairly consistent. Well, he seems he seems a little bit less threatening than than the original Dumbledore. For for whatever reason, the the whenever I saw in the first two movies, I always felt that there was an undercurrent of threat with Dumbledore. That he was always just kind of looming, and you didn't you never really knew what he was going to do. But I that uh, this is a, the second Dumbledore I find is a generally a softer Dumbledore. You know, I think the exact opposite, Thrasher. I felt really? the original Dumbledore was uh, warm and, and cuddly and, and kind of humorous. And I, maybe this has to do with as the story gets darker, as these Harry Potter films progress, as we'll discuss in the episodes of forthcoming, a lot of Dumbledore's dialogue is him shouting, Harry Potter! <laughs> you know, so he doesn't get a chance... The, as the the novels and by turn the films, which we'll be focusing on in the sequel cast in the coming weeks, get get darker in tone, you get less of the cute and cuddly Dumbledore. It's kind of a difference of like Gandalf in The Hobbit compared to The Lord of the Rings. Dark things are afoot. And um, Dumbledore, among other things, exists to expose endless lines of exposition for the plot when convenient. About Voldemort and prisoners and, 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 and whatnot, yeah. And yet this one is not focused on Voldemort as much as the first two films, as I thought was kind of surprising. It's about the threat of this um, this titular prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Sirius Black, played by Gary Oldman, is on the loose. And it's like this kind of, oh, who is he? What is his relation to Harry? Why would Harry Potter want to find him? 
And that's that's sort of the central driving plot of the film. Uh, what did you think of Oh, uh, David Thewlis as Remus Lupin? He he was all right, I guess. This is again. This is this is me kind of you know losing interest in, in Harry Potter as I go along. But just like the moment he shows up and the moment I hear that name, okay, I get it. Werewolf. Let's move on. Right. It's it's not a subtle name, Remus Lupin. And why is that not subtle, Thrasher? Because it's right. It's right there. Lupin. Lupus. Lupine. Werewolf. <laughs> It's and and just the fact that his nickname is Mooney and he's always acting with weird animal in weird animal ways. It's it's kind of like it's like they're not giving us. It, it, it's kind of like you know, this is Harold McTrader. Try to be surprised when he turns out <laughs> to betray you. Well, and they've had that thread throughout all the films so far, haven't they? Where some sort of teacher ends up as a betrayer of sorts. In the first one, you had Quirrell, which was. Uh, you know, taken over by Voldemort. And the second one, you had the teacher played by Kenneth Branagh. I can't, uh, what is it, Lockhart or something like that? I can't which I, yeah, which I don't mind as a, as a running theme because right. I, do, I do like that these kids, you know, they, they, they can't necessarily trust every authority figure in their lives because they never know who might be involved in a conspiracy with Voldemort. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, here's another zany teacher to fill the defense against the dark arts slot. And yeah, we're not even right. going to try to hide what his weird quirk is now. I mean, watching this film in particular, I thought, why didn't they make Harry Potter a TV show? Because he totally could. Whether it it was based on the books or not, it'd be like, you know, Hogwarts Academy. It would make a really good miniseries. (laughs) I think so. And And I'm sure at some... I am sure at some point... Uh, J.K. Rowling and her people were approached with with by the BBC to do this as a miniseries or by any network to do like an animated series or what have you. She hasn't been opposed to doing another Harry Potter book in the future, which, you know, could deal with the, the kids of some of these characters or, or however they deal with it. So I don't know. I mean, since the, these core seven books, she released a novella, you know, based off uh, some side character. I don't recall the name of that at the moment. Was it the, the Adventure of Beetle the Bard? Uh, that's it. Yeah, very good. So and then since then, she released a, a um, kind of a, a murder mystery in the style of Agatha Christie, which sold well because the J.K. Rowling name, but you don't see a movie of that yet, do you? So I don't know. We'll see. But like, she doesn't have to write anything the rest of her life if she doesn't want to. But I, but I like that she still is. I like that she she's not just coasting on this this mm-hmm. unprecedented success. And she uh, she uh, contributes a lot to a website called Pottermore, which is kind of like a, a Harry Potter social media site where they've written exclusive encyclopedia entries about characters and things that were not in the books or the films. Um, and they released a uh, PlayStation Three video game that works with the the PlayStation Move, the kind of rip off Wii controllers. That work with yet another peripheral, like a fake <laughs> book thing that you can use to somehow cast magic spells on your television. It all sounds terribly expensive and convoluted to me, but what do I know? Um, okay, so let's, before we continue talking about Harry and the Prisoner of Azkaban, let's talk about our website and social <laughs> media presences over at SequelCast.com. If you like what you listen to, you can donate to the SequelCast via PayPal at SequelCast.com slash donate. That gets you to our PayPal a link where you can uh, donate how you choose. We have some listeners do that in the past, and notably 
Ben Kane. Thank you for donating very much, sir. And um, You are our own personal hero. Absolutely, because, you know, doing a podcast isn't free. Not only does it take time, but it also costs uh, money just for hosting and everything. And uh, the more you donate, the better equipment we'll get, you know, and uh, every little bit helps is what I'm trying to say. So if you want to throw a few, few shekels, dollars, pounds, what have you, our way. Drachma. You know, a drachma, Maybe. very good, yes. Harry Potter coins, whatever. Uh, you can do so at sequelcast.com slash donate. We already mentioned the theme song was written and performed by Mark with a C, and you can check out his music at markwithac.com. And we said Sequelcast was a member of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. You can check out more of a TV and film podcast at battleshipretention.com. So let's say you're hearing us talking about one of these shows, and you're like, hey, I want to watch this film before I listen to it on the Sequelcast. Well, if you go to our website at www.sequelcast.com, on the far right, we have a link for uh, Amazon Instant Video, which is streaming rentals, pretty cheap. You can listen, you can watch, at this point, rentals of the Harry Potter films for $1.99 a piece. I think that's very reasonable as a streaming video rental you can watch on your computer. And we get a little kickback from that, so that helps. If you want to buy things like sequel cast whiskey flask or buttons or t-shirts, you can do that at cafepress.com slash sequelcast. And, of course, you can listen to SequelCast via the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Listen to SequelCast streaming on the go. Get the app at stitcher.com slash sequelcast. And not only do you have a chance to win 100 American dollars, but SequelCast podcast, all of them, including SequelCast, video game SequelCast, Sequel Commentary, and SequelCast Special, get added as your favorite shows. So why not? There's also the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. I don't think I missed anything, did I? Uh, not everything except Stitcher, actually. I just said Stitcher, so... Oh, then we're done. Okay. Good night! I have that spiel me- memorized. Very good. Back to our discussion of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Azkaban, Azkaban, potato, potato, tomato, Let's tomato. talk about the time travel. Okay, let's skip towards the end of the film. So you have a bunch of werewolf stuff. Let's touch on that before getting okay. to the time travel, right? That's a big part of the film. So you have, as you mentioned earlier, um, there's the professor. Yeah. Lupin, Remus Lupin, played by David Thewlis. And surprise, surprise, he's a werewolf. Meanwhile, you find out that Sirius Black is Harry Potter's godfather. And uh, because there's reputation, but also because he's played by Gary Oldman, you think he's a bad guy. But it turns out, (laughs) oh, no. It turns out, and I think this is awfully convenient, even for a children's fantasy story, that the villain isn't Sirius Black. Why, who is it? It's Ron Weasley's... Um, Rat Scabbers. Rat Scabbers, who is a... Uh, what's the guy's name? Crab. The, the, the character or the actor? Both. Peter Pettigrew, right, is his name... Nicknamed Wormtail, and, um, yeah, played by Timothy Spall. Who, Timothy Spall played the virtual reality technician in the, I believe it was season four, uh, Red Dwarf episode, Back to Reality, which is, I don't know if, if you, if you listen to the, uh, audio commentary track for those old Red Dwarf episodes, a running theme is the principal cast talking about how all of their guest stars have better careers than they do. And this is one <laughs> of the prime examples. Look at it, look at, look at that wanker. He's in every Potter now. 
another guy who gets better parts than us. Well, he looks kind of like a mouse. I mean, uh, th- that actor has been in, uh, Timothy Spall has been in films. Like, he was in The Last the Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. He was in Enchanted, playing like an evil villain toady part, kind of the same exact. Oh, kinda, yes, the sidekick. A very similar part to what he did in the Harry Potter films. So Nicholas Nickleby? He has a he has a very cartoon look about his face. Especially well, he, when, has, he has a really classic mug. I really like that about him. Especially when you add prosthetic buck teeth. <laughs> so it turns out he is a guy that kind of ratted out um, Harry Potter's hey! Harry Potter's father and mother's location of Voldemort, and Voldemort went and killed them. And so uh, Harry Potter shows him mercy by letting him free. But then, of course, he changes back into a rat and runs away to survive for the sequel. Um, and you get a werewolf fight. And how does the time travel work into all of this, Thrasher? Well. Hermione has this gadget called a time turner, this little hourglass watch gyroscope thing that if you spin it, rewinds, like basically shunts you back in time. Yep. As if it's rewinding time around you. And so she's been using it to study, to take extra classes and to study hard. So she can, she can take multiple classes at once by using the time turner, uh, which seems like a really powerful bit of, magic to, 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 to give to a child or anyone. But uh, uh, at, at some point, uh, Harry Potter needs to be two places at once. Uh, he gets uh, he gets a hold of the Time Turner, and while he is in the past or the future, I forget. Well, him exactly and Hermione use it together because uh, Ron Weasley is injured. Yes. But he, um, he, he's he sees what he thinks is his father casting a spell that he's never been able to master. Hmm. And then later it turns out that he's actually saw himself casting that spell, which he learned from himself when he saw himself (laughs) use it using the time turner. Right. And he summons like a spirit that's supposed to represent his dead father. the The white stag Patronus. And, because of that, he has to do that to. It keeps the Dementors away. Yeah. Oh, it's just incredibly convoluted. Much in the way I think Back to the Future Two was. I'm not sure if that's quite necessary. At that time in the story, I was like, before they do the time travel, I'm like, okay, they can wrap things up. They revealed who the titular prisoner of Azkaban was, and that he wasn't so bad after all. And, okay, yes, we had some convenient distractions in the past scenes, but now you get to see that it's actually Harry Potter and Hermione time-traveling to cause said distractions. Uh, I don't know. I'm not crazy about that bit of the plot. Well, it's, well, it's also, you know, you know t- access to time travel is incredibly useful. So are we ever going to see this uh, time-turner again? In these films? Yeah. I don't believe so, but I could be wrong. I haven't seen all the but, films in a while. But it, but it, it's kind of a thing. It's like you know you, you've established that the characters have access to something so incredibly useful. Why aren't they using it? I mean, among other things, and a lot of people say this is when the Harry Potter films start to get good. I agree, it's better shot than the previous two films, but it really feel it reminds me of Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. And that it's a film that, among other things, connect the dots. It's you've been teasing Voldemort reincarnating as these different incarnations in film one and two. In film three, it's kind of te- it's kind of uh, laying down the pipe, so to speak, 
of what will happen to resurrect Voldemort in the flesh, which happens, I think, at the end of the next film, uh, Goblet of Fire. Because there's not that much in the story that drives things along in the film. Which, while making it convoluted, makes the, the content of the plot kind of slight. What do you think about the special effects for... They get a map in this film, the Marauder's Map. I think, like, I think that's actually cool the way it's realized, where, you know, you it's the map's got a layout of the school, and you can see everybody's uh, everybody's footprints and that, and that's and that's really cool but it's also it's also kind of creepy because like how many of these maps are there does any like this this is the kind of divination magic that is so useful i want to know why no one ever uses it you have a map that tracks everyone on the grounds of hogwarts how how do the heads of the school not have one of these maps and constantly use it Especially that, when you good, have someone right. like Sirius Black on the loose. Mm-hmm. And also, did you notice the two people who were probably fucking on that map? Uh, no, was it Snape and someone else? Uh, I don't think they're. I don't think you can tell what their names are. But there's there's two people in a bathroom stall, and based on the arrangement of their feet, <laughs> the only thing they could be doing is fucking or or making out hot and heavy. I see. You know, I, I've never had a. Um romantic entanglement in a bathroom stall. Oh, it's not, oh, no, it's not about romance. It's about power. Right. I've had my hair dyed in a bathroom stall at a Waffle House uh, a little bit less than a decade ago, but that's a, a separate story for another time. So, back to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I think we're ready to, get, to rate this film out of five stars, don't you? <laughs> I think so. Out of uh, five stars, I would rate Harry Potter the Prisoner of Azkaban, I guess, three out of five. I like the cinematography. I thought the story was a bit lacking. I truly hate the ending of this film where Sirius Black gives Harry Potter a present of, like, a super broom, and he flies away on it, and the movie ends on a freeze frame. Uh, all that's, all that's the it worst. needs is once that freeze frame hits to hear, You're the best! You know, they either need to play uh, You're the best around or like Don't Don't you forget about Yeah, don't you forget about me (laughs) Any way you want it That's (laughs) the way you need it Uh, It's a marvelous night for a moon dance and, um, yeah, no. I've got then my lovely bunch of coconuts. On the medic. Yeah, no. That's not. I'm distracted by the comic you emailed me. I'll have to look at it later. Um, well, that's got the, the, the shoes or the footprints on the map I'm, I was talking about. Very good. So, Thrasher, what would you rate Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban out of three, uh, five stars? I'm sorry. I guess, I guess I'd give it three. It, it was fun, but I'm just not into it. It, it, it. it no point did it ever grab me and hold me. Okay. Very good. So, now that we've talked about Harry Potter and Prisoner of Azkaban, let's move on to pitch a sequel in which we pretend no sequels are made to this film and we pitch them. Pitch one, I guess. Um, I'll begin. I think after this one, 
you're you're building up the the stuff with um, Voldemort coming to be and all that stuff. Yeah. So with that, I think I would do um, call this Harry Potter. I said Potter. Harry Potter Scabbers quest, and it would focus about the character Scabber the rat, and he would. Uh, also played by Timothy Spall in his human form. It'll be about all the subterfuge and sneakiness he has to do to meet up with the other uh, top dogs at Slytherin to try and resurrect Voldemort. I I was actually going to pitch something very similar. Mine was going to be uh, Harry Potter Four Mouse Hunt Two Scabbers Quest. <laughs> okay, where it would be it would be uh, it would be a sort of pseudo prequel about how uh, basically all the adventures Scabbers had in the background of the first three movies uh, with, with, mm. a, with a little intro about him turning into a rat and, and finding a place to hide as Ron Weasley's familiar. Uh, and, you know, we'd see lots of CGI rat action, although that, that raises sort of a, uh, a really creepy prospect. Uh, it means Ron has like a 45 year old man living in a cage in his room. Yes. For years. Yep. That's just, oh, that's just creepy. Do you think he ever leaves the room and then uh, the rat changes himself back into his human form and then Ron has to run back into his bedroom to grab something and he sees like a naked middle-aged man just in the corner of his room? That would be delightfully farcical. But <laughs> Looking I, confused. I, you, you'd think he would be, or, or would the guy just come up with, oh, on the whimsical naked... Mortar inspector here to inspect the mortar. Yep, that mortar checks out. All right, goodbye, and then he runs away. <laughs> hmm. Pretty. Uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> I think I was reading a bit of trivia uh, randomly about um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. So originally Richard Harris was supposed to reprise his role, and then he died, so he he couldn't. And um, at one he point, wasn't trying hard enough, was he? Well, you know, at one point they uh, Harris's uh, family was considering Peter O'Toole should be his replacement because Peter O'Toole was a close friend of Richard Harris. Interesting. And Peter O'Toole is still alive. I think that's surprising. Well, no, he's well preserved. All the alcohol keeps him keeps him uh, from deteriorating. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's been in a movie since, uh, yeah, 2000... Oh, wait. That's well, he was in Ratatouille. Oh, as a voice, you're right. But certainly he hasn't been in, like, mainstream films constantly. He's, like, 80 years old, you know. I don't know if he oh. would have taken a Harry Potter had it been offered to him. So, but I thought that was an interesting bit. Certainly if he would have... Been cast, it would not have been out of place. So, yeah. Hey, uh, Podcasto Progressum uh, sequel news? Sequel news, very good. So if you go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast, you can see some current sequel news about films and video games we've been posting. So why don't we uh, talk about the film stuff in particular. Thrasher, do you want to start on a story? Uh, I just want to start with the official trailer for the new Riddick movie is out. Definitely check out that that trailer. Why? Why does it grab you? 
Well, well, this is the thing. It looks like a, it, it, it's pulling me in two directions because on the one hand, I'm seeing a trailer for the for a the Riddick sequel. I think I've always wanted to see it, 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 and in fact, it strangely does not seem to even acknowledge the Chronicles of Riddick ever happened. Although I'm sure it's going to be detailed at some point because there is a guy that looks like a necromonger in the trailer. But the other thing is, it looks like the movie is going to be pitch black all over again. Right, it looks more stripped down. I think certainly have to explain how the character of Riddick advances from the end of Chronicles of Riddick, which is a pretty major character point, um, you know, to the third film. Yeah, and, and it's but it's like, you know, here we are on another on another barren alien planet where monsters come out at night. Uh, one new story I wanted to touch on was a question we got from uh, listener uh, Zemislaw Herman. Cool. Uh, so Beverly Hills Cop... It was being worked on as a TV show, and CBS said they'd, you know, commit to a pilot. Eddie Murphy uh, filmed a pilot with, I can't remember the actor that played uh, Axel Foley's son in the pilot, who the series would revolve around, and Kevin Pollack was in the pilot. And apparently, um, no, who uh, Judge Reinhold is in the pilot as well. So cool. All this money dumped into a pilot directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who directed Men in Black, all those films. CBS decided to pass on the series after looking at the pilot. Entertainment Weekly said they thought it was too retro. So I, the step at this point is they're going to shop around that pilot and that series to other networks. I guess we'll see what happens, but at the same time, it just it's I, I it's a it's com- a completely unnecessary show, and yet I'm shocked that any network would actually pass on it because it is such an established property. You have name recognition, but like the last Beverly Hills Cop movie, Beverly Hills Cop Three, at this point was. Basically, 20 years ago, if not close to it. But hey, check out our sequel commentary for it. And our sequel cast on the Beverly Hills Cop Trilogy at sequelcast.com. Yeah, I mean, we have that, but as well, it's, uh, I just don't, I agree with you, Thrasher. I don't get why they'd pass on that. I think there'd be money in the bank with a name recognition loan. You'd at least get a season or two out of it. So we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll go to cable. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it will. They'll just release the pilot as a direct-to-video film. Beverly oh, Hills I bet Cop, they will. new Beverly Hills Cop. You know, they could do that. that that's also possible. So Beverly Hills Cop Junior, <laughs> son of Beverly Hills Cop, the return of the curse of Beverly Hills Cop. Any other sequel news you want to discuss? No, that was the most significant things uh, that jumped out at me. The last thing I want to touch on, just because we got a lot of views on it on our Facebook page, oh. is Hollywood Reporter uh, noted <laughs> that Arnold Schwarzenegger is in talks to have a uh, a big role in the upcoming Toxic Avenger reboot. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I so, didn't want to talk about this because okay. I, I don't want this movie to happen. Well, you know, the, the writer and director would be Steve Pink, who wrote High Fidelity. He also directed Hot Tub Time Machine. Well, there's one person I trust with this, then. And, you know, it must have been, I think it was quite a few years ago when, um, I mean, they've been trying to make this a mainstream remake of Toxic Avenger for quite some time now. But it can't be. The moment it's mainstream is the moment it's not the Toxic Avenger. Well, they had a Saturday morning cartoon series. Yes, and it was the least mainstream of all Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> shows at the time. 
I think with uh, I'm just amazed. The picture I posted of Arnold Schwarzenegger from a recent movie he's in that's not out yet, um, where he's like a prison guard or something. I posted side by side a picture of Toxie from the first Toxic Avenger movie, and they kind of look the same. Their skin is beaten down, <laughs> worn down, slumping chin, uh, striking profile. It's here's, and that's not intentional. But I imagine if Schwarzenegger takes this part in Toxic Avenger. Because, I mean, the last theatrical film he had where he was the lead, he was the main honcho, was The Last Stand in early 2013. And that flopped, at least domestically, terribly. It doesn't help that you release an action film in January. Um, so, maybe he'll try and do the, the Vin Diesel route of falling back on kids' films. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it. I I just don't think it, it is. All, I guess for me, it's almost tantamount to sacrilege to do a big budget remake of the Toxic Avenger, especially when the first movie is already so good. You're only because this is the thing that I that people still don't understand. If you're going to remake a movie, you should only remake bad movies. Like if you if you remake a good movie, you're only going to fail. So they should remake Toxic Avenger Two, is what you're saying. Well, okay, yeah, that I <laughs> okay. would accept. Okay. Well, actually, no. Remake number three, two has a lot of charm with all the J- Japan stuff. Three is the one that doesn't work. And those were filmed back to back. Uh, yes. Well, it was originally going to be one movie, but it got so bloated, they just decided to split it into two. And also because they had sold the distribution rights for two sequels uh, because the first movie did so well. I know they're working on the script to this, but I'd rather see Schwarzenegger commit to a new Conan the Barbarian film. Well, didn't he, or did that did that fall out? Uh, they're working on the script. They want to get uh, Universal wants to get it done ASAP. But we'll see what actually happens. And, you know, just, there's there's a producer, there's a writer attached, and um, we'll see what they'll they'll bust out through the door. I'm betting Schwarzenegger will have some sort of cameo in The Expendables three, but they haven't started. Uh, they're still scripting that one as well. So we'll see. You know, it's a difficult world when action stars start to get above uh, in their late fifties, early sixties some cases 70s what do you do with them right i don't know so you know if you want to check out more sequel news check it out at a facebook page at facebook.com slash sequel cast if you like what you listen to so far please consider donating at sequelcast.com slash donate to donate to us via paypal or check one of our affiliate links at sequelcast.com so um we know sequel news now we're on to our final segment here at the sequel cast of what you're watching so thrasher what you're watching I just saw Iron Man 3. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Um, would you mind being light on the spoilers? Can you talk oh, about absolutely. it? Oh, absolutely. Okay, because I haven't seen it. And I bet a lot of our audience hasn't seen it either. Yeah, and and, and frankly, there, there, are, there are a handful of things that if you know a lot about Marvel Comics, you're probably you're going to want to see how they handled it firsthand. How would you say Iron Man 3 stacks up to one or two? Uh, I... Uh, it's better. It's better than two. Uh, I think I have to go back and watch the first one, but I think I actually like it uh, a little bit more than one. Is it able to be compelling after a film like The Avengers that had a gazillion superheroes in the lead? Y- yes, it is. Uh, one because they keep the characters very interesting, and two because of something I don't want to spoil. <laughs> okay. 
all I'm all I'm gonna say is if you liked a lot of superheroes fighting, well, you'll probably uh, like part of this movie. Did you read the comic uh, Extremis by Warren Ellis, on which some of the movie is based? Uh, no, unfortunately, I did not. Okay. Um... And I've got to applaud them for for how they handled the Mandarin. Uh, the way they handled the Mandarin, I think, was absolutely brilliant. You know, speaking of which, and this this, unless you have more to say about the film, do you? Um, it, it's it's all just general general praise. If I go into any more detail, I probably will end up spoiling something. What do you say if someone likes Iron Man, they should go see Iron Man three? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so what what I've been watching, and I got to review, I had the, the pleasure of reviewing this for Battleship Retention at battleshipretention.com, um, is I got to see a uh, the theatrical screening, which they're touring city to city, of Jay and Silent Bob's groovy cartoon movie. Oh, nice. So, um, and while I was in line for that, the Iron Man 3 connection, is people behind me in line were talking about the film, and it's like, oh man, if you're... Uh, if you're familiar with the comics, what they do with the Mandarin, it's really going to piss you off, man. I about walked out of the theater where that happened. Uh-huh. Um, so I heard that, and the guys behind me also talked about a story how they lived in a part of Oregon where Bruce Campbell also lives in Oregon. Cool. And uh, this dude, I guess, worked at a video store, and actor Bruce Campbell, um, I guess his wife walked into the video store, and the, he got to be friends with Bruce Campbell. And apparently got to allegedly... Uh, smoke up with Bruce Campbell one pleasant afternoon. Nice. So, the kind of stories you can expect waiting in line outside <laughs> for a uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, film. This was, you know, an animated film and Jay and Silent Bob's groovy cartoon movie. Um, so what it is, it's not directed by Kevin Smith, but it's it's written by him. This has a bit of a curious history. It's directed by Steve Stark, who has animated Smotimation's kind of short uh, internet animations based on uh, segments of the uh, various, uh, like, Spodcast, the Kevin Smith podcast stuff. He does with Scott Moser. Are you familiar? I, I've, I've listened to uh, a very little of it, but I, I do, I do okay. know what you're talking about. So what they're doing is they're touring around the country and eventually around the world, certainly to, like, uh, to England and, and Australia later this year, I think. Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, for the ticket, the tickets on the low end start at $50. But what you get is you don't just get to see the movie, you get to see a, uh, a live podcast Q&A recording hmm. with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. That's right, Jay and Silent Bob themselves. But I'm guessing they're not in character for it. No, they're they're themselves. They're, it's part of the podcast Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, which the podcast, in a way, also the, the film... It's kind of done as a way to help Jason Mewes keep uh, sobriety. Hmm. Jason Mewes has had his problems with drugs over the years, and he's been sober, I think, almost four years now. It's been quite quite some time. And by meeting up doing a podcast with his, his buddy, he's grown up with Kevin Smith every week. It helps keep him on the straight and narrow. And Jason Mewes was the producer of this film, Jane Silent Bob, super groovy cartoon movie. Now, we covered the Kevin Smith, Jane Silent Bob films uh, earlier on the sequel cast. As a listener choice, um, was it this year or last year? I don't recall. Uh, I think I think it was, was technically last year. Technically in 2012. That I think that I think you're right on that. So when we did that, remember, and James Hallett Bob strikes back. You have Blunt Man and Chronic, right? Mm-hmm. The film within a film. And you said, I wish they could have their own movie. 
that's what this is. But it's a cartoon with like uh, an Adult Swim level of animation. Is it one sustained uh, narrative or is it like different shorts strung together? It's a sustained narrative and even uh, weirder, it's based off a uh, Bloodman and Chronic graphic novel Kevin Smith did from like, I think like 2004. It was like around the time, or 2003, around the time James Hill and Bob Strikes Back. But they've updated it with some more modern comic book references. Um, And yet you get a character... That was in the film uh, Cockknocker, who was played by Mark Hamill in the film. Hey, kids, it's Mark Hamill. And he was not able to reprise his... This is the the single thing that annoyed me most about this movie. He could not reprise his role in the cartoon. Really? Which I don't know if it was a union issue or a money issue, whatever it was, right? So instead, they have uh, actress Tara Strong play his part, sped up in a high chipmunk squeal. That's got to be frustrating. Uh, I, I think so, because he's not a main villain of the piece. You have a character called Dickhead, which uh, literally has a penis for a head. And are, are all the supervillains genital-based? Uh, actually, yes. Um, okay. Also, comic book uh, writer and book author Neil Gaiman plays uh, the part. Gaiman? Gaiman? How do you pronounce it? Uh, I believe it's Gaiman, but I'm not entirely... Now that now that you ask me, I'm actually not entirely sure. He voices the equivalent of Alfred in the film, which I think his name is Albert. Um, but I found the movie, if you like the James Helen Bob, Kevin Smith stuff in particular, it's along those lines. I thought it was funny. I think um, the, the sound mix, I think, could have been a bit better. But I never thought it dragged. I got I got a kick out of it. I'm sure eventually it'll get some sort of a, if not a DVD release, like an online release in some form or fashion. I wish the animation would have been a, a smidge better. You know, I think, for I don't know why this is. Maybe it's all the Pixar and DreamWorks stuff. But if you go to see an animated film on the big screen, you expect a certain level of animation. Not that it has to be this. Well, no, but it, but it is kind of a thing. We we I think we do expect a a certain standard of quality when when we we see a film, and and even then, th- chances are this was probably meant to be direct to DVD or direct to streaming. It was probably never meant to be seen in a theater. <laughs> Actually, they decided to do it touring theaters because they did that with Kevin Smith's last film, uh, Red State. Oh yeah, and that's how they got all the you know able to charge a lot for tickets because of Kevin Smith's fan base and to see him live, of course. Uh, I mean, that was the big draw for me. I don't, um, I think I would have seen this in a theater. I'm not sure if I would have paid $50 a ticket just to see the film, but, but to see him in person, I was, it was a real kick. It was real, you know, Kevin Smith's meant a lot to me throughout my life, just his work and his inspiration. Hell, he has a lot of podcasts. We do a lot of podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, it was a real trip to see him in person. Uh, I waited a Although I believe to- ours were first and he plagiarized us. No, 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 no. Well, it, remain, it remains to be seen. He's, uh, only it time remains will, to be seen which of us was doing it first. Only time will tell. No. Um, but uh, if you like the James Hunt Bob stuff, you'll get a kick out of it. If you're the kind of person that's like, hey, I liked, I liked Kevin Smith stuff like Chasing Amy, um, this film will frankly annoy you, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so it knows its audience and it plays to its audience very well. There's nothing wrong with that. The crudeness of the animation and some of the jokes reminds me of kind of like early Ralph Bashke, Bakshi stuff. Although it's not rotoscoped, but you know what I mean? Like the tone? 
Oh yeah, no, I know. I totally yeah. understand what you mean. That, that that kind of that handmade feel. Exactly, very handmade feel. I mean, w- one of the villains I don't recall his name is a black guy that just scratches his balls and jacks off the whole film. So, uh, is he is he called Blackjack? <laughs> he's not. Uh, okay, Blackjack would have been pretty good, but I, I don't recall what his name was. Um, but sure. So if you want to see that, check out. If you go to csmod, that's S-E-E-S-M-O-D dot com, uh, they got links of when it's going to play around the United States and later around um, Canada, Australia, and the UK. So that's what I've been watching. Well, I think we've done a good job here talking about, uh, allegedly, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Any last thing about the film you want to talk about that we didn't get to cover? No, I suppose not. I guess we we we've gone uh, we've gone over everything. Uh, and I guess I, I should also mention this is the last Harry Potter film I've seen. So Ooh, from okay. this point on, I'm going to be watching these films with fresh eyes. And uh, you're gonna, everyone listening to the podcast is going to be getting my immediate reaction. You got a way to watch the films? You got a video rental store by you in Kentucky? What is it? Yes. That's, oh, okay. That's my well, question for you. Is. Actually, we don't have any video. Actually, no, I take that back. The video rental store closed. Uh, we have two options. One, Do we're not either inc- going to buy a DVD collection or we're going to borrow it from our friends who already have the collection. Borrowing is always a fun option, I think, before you know. kind of know what you're getting into. Um, very cool. Great. So, tune in next week on the sequel cast, which will cover Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. For the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... Patronus! Harry Potter! You would not go and seek the prisoner of Azkaban. He's a very dangerous man. That does not sound like Dumbledore. That's close enough. Maybe you can third Dumbledore. <laughs> Who would play Dumbledore if Michael Gambon died during those films? Who would be a third... <laughs> Replacement. Uh, Ian McKellen would have finally had to have stepped in. I don't know. He already was Gandalf. But they were talking about getting him. He was under consideration. I mean, what if you had, uh, like, John Lovitz as Dumbledore? Well, 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 Mr. Harry Potter. <laughs> would you I like s- to hear about the new golf company I invested in? I see Harry Potter. That stinks. Go to bed. You need a shower.